Welcome to the Friday edition of Transformation Radio. And now it's time for our reading here in the New Testament. And our scripture today is from Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 30. Now sometimes we feel that if the Holy Spirit leads us, it will always be beside peaceful streams. But that is not necessarily true. He led Jesus into the wilderness for a long and difficult time of testing. And He may also lead us into difficult situations. Now in facing trials, first make sure you haven't brought them on yourself through sin or unwise choices. If you find no sin to confess or unwise behavior to change, then ask God to strengthen you for your test. Finally, be careful to follow faithfully wherever the Holy Spirit leads. Now the devil who tempted Adam and Eve in the garden also tempted Jesus in the wilderness. Satan is a real being, a created but rebellious fallen angel, and not a symbol or an idea. He constantly fights against God and those who follow and obey God. Jesus was a prime target for the devil's temptations. Satan had succeeded with Adam and Eve, and he hoped to succeed with Jesus as well. Well, knowing and obeying God's word is an effective weapon against temptation. The only offensive weapon provided in the Christian's armor. That's all in Ephesians chapter 6. Jesus used scripture to counter Satan's attacks, and so should we. But to use it effectively, we must have faith in God's promises because Satan also knows scripture and is adept at twisting it to suit his purposes. Obeying the scriptures is more important than simply having a verse to quote. So read them daily and apply them to your life. Then your sword will always be sharp. Now, why was it necessary for Jesus to be tempted? First, temptation is part of the human experience. For Jesus to be fully human, for him to understand us completely, he had to face temptation. Now, second, Jesus had to undo Adam's work. Adam, though created perfect, gave in to temptation and passed sin on to the whole human race. Thanks a lot, Adam. Now, Jesus, by contrast, resisted Satan. His victory offers salvation to all of Adam's descendants. Glory, hallelujah. Uh, Satan may tempt us to doubt Christ's true identity. He knows that once we begin to question whether or not Jesus is God, it's far easier to get us to uh, do what he wants. Times of questioning can help us sort out our beliefs and strengthen our faith. But those times can also be quite dangerous. If you're dealing with doubt, be aware that you are especially vulnerable to temptation. Even as you search for answers, protect yourself by meditating on the unshakable truths of God's Word. And with that, let's begin our reading today, here in the New Testament. March 20th, the New Testament. Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 30. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for forty days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. 
I will give it all to you, if you will worship me. Jesus replied, The scriptures say, You must worship the Lord your God, and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you're the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, He will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, The scriptures also say, You must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? Then he said, You will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself, meaning, Do miracles here in your hometown, like those you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the heavens were closed for three and a half years, and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, but the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. Psalm 63, verses 1 through 11. Hiding from his enemies in the barren wilderness of Judah, David was intensely lonely. He longed for a friend he could trust to ease his loneliness. No wonder he cried out, Oh God, my soul thirsts for you in this parched and weary land. Now if you're lonely or thirsty for something lasting in your life, remember David's prayer. God alone can satisfy our deepest longings. During sleepless, uncomfortable nights, David thought about God. Instead of counting sheep, he meditated on his shepherd. He viewed all the ways God had already helped him and he greeted the next day with songs of praise. In quiet moments or wakeful nights, make it a point to count examples of God's faithfulness to you. Doing so is far more likely to give you rest than any other items you might count. Psalm 63, verses 1 through 11, a psalm of David, regarding a time when David was in the wilderness of Judah. O oh God, you are my God. 
I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you! I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. Because you are my helper, I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. But those plotting to destroy me will come to ruin. They will go down into the depths of the earth. They will die by the sword and become the food of jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who trust in him will praise him, while liars will be silenced. Proverbs chapter 11, verses 20 and 21. The Lord detests people with crooked hearts, but he delights in those with integrity. Evil people will surely be punished, but the children of the godly will go free. Hey, it's Zach Pruitt here with Transformation Radio. Just a reminder that Monday is Orientation Day at the Refuge Ministries. If you or anybody you know is struggling with addiction, homelessness, or hopelessness, come to the Hilltop Lutheran Church located at 12 South Terrace Avenue in Columbus at 10 a.m. on Monday. Please call 614-991-0131 or visit our website at menslivesChanged.org for more information. Thanks for listening to Transformation Radio and have a blessed day. We are going to be reading from Acts 3, if you guys want to follow along, or it's on the screen. Um, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth had and being carried whom had laid daily at the gate of the temple that was called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as John did, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took them in the... He took them by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entering the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising, well, sorry, and recognizing him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us, as though by your own power or piety that you have made him walk? And God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. In his name, by faith in his name, has made the man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man his perfect health and presence of you all. 
And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all prophets, that his, that his Christ would suffer and thus fulfill. Repent, therefore, and turn back from your sins, may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Christ appointed to you. Jesus, whom, have, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all things of which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will rise up from you, a prophet like me, from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophet and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to the fir- to you first to bless by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Amen. Good afternoon, church. <laughs> it's good to see you. This is kind of the time in between afternoon and evening, so I don't really know what to say, but welcome. As uh, I was so stoked. I don't know. Um, Shane, I just thought did a great job last week, so you guys were uh, served well. And so I'm uh, excited to, uh, to continue on in Acts. So as of now, Jesus is alive. He's ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit's empowering the church. People are repenting and being baptized. The church is growing. Last week, we got to see the byproduct of God's Spirit dwelling within the life of a Christian. And that's a beautiful thing because what it began to produce was uh, sharing, just a really authentic community. Sin isolates us and separates us. We saw a community begin to come together, take care of one another, and so on and so forth. And what, what we saw in chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 2, two weeks ago, which was interesting, is, is we saw the Holy Spirit come upon God's people in the upper room, right? The Jews from various nations were speaking in different languages, but everyone understood a crowd gathered, and Peter began to preach. And what happened, what happened today? What happens in chapter 3? Well, we see this lame man healed, a crowd gathers, and Peter begins to preach. And so a pattern is developing. And so what we're going to do is we're going to break this text up into two parts, okay? And the idea, the big ideas here are this pattern of demonstration and proclamation, or deed and word. The SV Study Bible writes, In Acts, actions often lead to an explanation about what God is doing. Word and deed go together. So I'm going to read parts of, of the text. So now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, this would have been three in the afternoon, and a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that's called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. So friends, what we see here, right here, is an act of God. A miracle happens. We can't explain it in human terms. One minute the beggar is lame, the next minute he's not. 
Now Luke gives us some interesting details. He mentions that this beggar was here on a daily basis, right? The people gathering in this place would have known who he was. <clears throat> so he was here for years, it mentions. So they would, have, they would have known who he was. They would have said, yeah, that's lame Joe. He, he comes and he begs at the beautiful gate on the regular. And so there was familiarity with this man. He was in this place day in and day out. Now this is interesting because what Luke is letting us know is that this isn't some cheap ploy, right? This man did not know Peter and John. They didn't set this up. He asked Peter and John for money, just like he did the rest of the folks that came by. So truly, what happened was an act of God. Dr. Luke also mentions that he was lame from birth. The only way he would have known that he was lame from birth was if someone there had told him so. So this man was known in the town as being lame, and he begged for money at the gate of the temple. So we've established here, what what we're trying to establish is understand that, that we're not going to theorize around this. We are saying that a miracle happened here. And I know this freaks some people out, but there, there is in fact things that happen that we can't explain in human terms. And so that's what's taking place. Now another cool thing to account for is the fact that Peter and John spoke with authority. And the lame man was healed in Jesus' name. So how was this so? How did this happen? Is it because Peter and John are awesome and they hung out with Jesus for a while? No. It's because the Holy Spirit empowered them to do so. This is what Acts is about. Acts of our risen Lord through the work of the Spirit. Empowering, growing the church. We see Peter just being this this freaked out guy that denies Jesus one minute. And then after Jesus is crucified on the cross, he's buried, he resurrects. Peter sees him in the flesh. Jesus ascends. Now he's empowered with the Holy Spirit. And you see a different Peter. You see a different Peter. The Spirit's empowering him to speak with authority. And by God's grace, listen to this, he uses people like Peter. This dude used to be a fisherman. He used to be a fisherman. And and now he goes from being that to to a disciple of the Son of God. Advancing the church in the world. So there's hope for you today. There's hope for us. So what did, the interesting thing though is what did the Spirit make them notice on this day? Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms and Peter directed his gaze at him as did John and said, look at us. I think we can overlook this, but it's really important, I think. It's interesting. They noticed this lame beggar. If you think about it, Dr. Luke certainly could have written something else. Why didn't they go to the rich man's house? Why didn't they start performing miracles there? Because surely that would have been more beneficial for them personally, right? Think about it. Maybe even make some money, gain some fans, get a show on Oprah Winfrey Network. All's good. They could have done that. That could have been the story. That could have been Luke and and Acts. But they notice a lame beggar and they say, look at us. Look at us. Now, another interesting thing we need to know is there's this thing called the beautiful gate. Kind of weird, but it was beautiful. Um, The historians say that this gate was somewhere around 75 feet tall. And so in this kind of ancient civilization, this would have been like, you know, people walking into this temple would have been looking up at the beautiful gate. But Peter and John looked down and noticed the beggar. Noticed the beggar. Look at us. 
And so the beggar asks for money. Peter and John don't got any money. But to be frank, money is not what he most needed. Sure, money would help, but it's not what he most needed. He needed care. He needed to be loved. He needed to be listened to. He needed to be healed. And here's where the na- this is where the narrative takes us, which is a similar vein to Jesus' ministry in the Gospels, isn't it? Peter and John minister to a lame beggar. And I find this convicting. I find this refreshing. This has been messing me up as I look at this because Jesus' church is growing and it's people like this that Dr. Luke decides to highlight in this book. It's the first miracle that we see in Acts. Or first healing would be a better way to say that. So we see Jesus doing this in the Gospels, and now we see the disciples caring for the least of these, the hurting. And it's, in, it's a great encouragement for us now. It is. And I think one more thing for us to, to notice before we move on is, is, is Luke throws this line in here. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. In the name of Jesus, what's that all about? What's that all about? Well, Faith Life Study Bible says this. It says, when encountering, when encountering a name in a narrative, we first ask, does the text explain the significance of the name? Next, next ask, what is the linguistic meaning of the name and how is, it, how is it related to any explanation given in the text? Finally, ask, what's the significance of the name in the narrative? Answering these questions will add depth and understanding to the narrative. Because what we're reading, Acts is narrative. That's the genre. And it goes on. The most significant person in the Bible is Jesus. His name stems from Joshua, Yeho, a short for Yahweh or Shua, plus Shua, which means salvation. So his name means Yahweh is salvation. So what he's saying is the Lord is salvation in the name of Jesus. Because of Jesus, there's hope. Jesus' name carries authority. Because of Jesus, we have salvation in the name of Jesus, by Jesus' authority. Because of what Jesus accomplished, I'm now filled with God's Spirit and can speak in His behalf. Praise be to God. So that's what Peter, that's why he's saying in the name of Jesus, he's saying by Jesus' authority, I speak. And the text goes on, and leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And as I was reading that, it reminded me of the Old Testament in Isaiah. Isaiah says in in Isaiah 35, 6 and 7, Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. I love the prophet Isaiah. I love the book of Isaiah that corresponds with his name. Because in that book, we see the Messiah. We see this long-awaited one talked about over and over and over and over again. The Messiah will come and and the lame will walk. The tongues of the mute will sing for joy. The desert will become a pool. It's all this beautiful imagery of restoration, the putting back together of brokenness. The groaning earth will be made right again. 
And if you were here on the first week in Acts, we know that, that in our narrative, I guess, the, the overarching narrative of where we are in history is called the already not yet, which means that we've gotten a taste, a taste of restoration, but it's not going to be fully realized until Jesus returns. Acts 3, 1 through 10 is a literal miracle of God, but what it's doing is it's also foreshadowing for us a time in the future when God is going to make all things new. Like it says in Revelation 21, 5. So we see this miracle. We see Peter and John taking notice of this lame man. They show concern for him. He's healed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now let's move on to verse 11. And this is whenever um, there's demonstration. And now we see this proclamation. While he clung to Peter and John, referring to this lame man, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico, called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we've made him walk? Peter starts to preach it. He's very clear. Hey guys, listen, it's not me who accomplished this. Not because I'm awesome. Not because I have power on my own. Not because I'm super spiritual. He's making it very clear right up front. I didn't do this. I didn't make this happen. He says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. He's basically saying to these folks, you know the Old Testament? You know the Mosaic Law? You know the Messiah that we've all been waiting for? You see what happened? You see this lame man who's now walking? This is God's work. This Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah that you've been looking for, that you've been waiting for. The same God who glorified his servant Jesus. So here's a big question. What role does this miracle play? Or even a bigger question, what role do miracles play? And the answer is to give credence to the gospel message. There is a demonstration. There is a miracle. There is work. They do something. Why? To give credence to the gospel message, the proclamation, the word. It points back to the gospel. That's the purpose. That in fact, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is alive, and Jesus is God. And doesn't Peter use, he uses an interesting describer for Jesus. He says God, when he says his, and he calls him his servant, Jesus. And it's interesting because we see this, we see this elsewhere, like in the Gospel of Matthew 20, 28, which says, even as the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus is our Lord. And I don't know about you, but there's no, you know, we're servants of Jesus and no servant is greater than his, than his or her master. And so why do we keep settling for a life of comfort and predictability? Why do we try and live by our mere efforts and not by faith? Because the Bible keeps pointing back to the fact that Jesus came to serve, not to be served. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all... Hear this. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And we saw that this past week, didn't we? And I don't want to make light of that, but that's 
We see that in the New Testament too. But here, in our culture, we forget that. It's easy for us to say that we're Christians, but we live as though we're autonomous, as though we're self-sufficient, as though we can figure out, as though we can find joy and hope on our own through our effort. Paul Tripp writes, under his Jesus yoke is the only place where true freedom can be found. That sounds nice and cliche. It's true. It's true. Jesus modeled service. We are united with Christ. We are adopted as God's children if we put our faith in Him. We're not our own. We're dependent upon God's grace. We're in need of His redeeming love. We can't find true joy outside of a relationship with Jesus. So we have to continually ask ourselves, why do we then try? Peter goes on in his sermon. He says in verse 14, But you denied the holy and righteous one. You asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. Check this out. Peter explains how the prophecies, how the Old Testament... Now listen, the Jews were his audience. They were listening. They knew all about the law. They had spent their whole life trying to live according to the law perfectly. They knew exactly what he was talking about. And and he's saying, the person you thought was sacred, Abraham, was actually pointing to this guy, Jesus. And by the way, you killed him. This message would have been tough for his audience to embrace. Peter's telling them that they put to death the only one that can give them life. So this isn't a warm fuzzy, right? You killed your only source of hope, is what he's saying. And then he goes on, to this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So so what he's saying is, Jesus healed this lame man. It's by faith in Jesus that we are saved. To this we're witnesses. So we see Peter and John, by the power of the Holy Spirit, heal this man, then begin to preach the gospel. Deed and word. They do and they speak. We proclaim the gospel by word and by deed. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 2. This is pretty explicit, all right? It's hard, to, it's hard to get around what he's trying to say here. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. That's everyone, in case you wondered. And by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. We aren't to only let them know we're Christians by how we live. Surely, Surely we must live what we proclaim. But that's only half of it. Preach the word. Isaiah 43.10 says, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I've chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. Jesus is the way. Verse 17 in our text. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that this Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. So Peter's saying, hey, the Bible 
You're, you know, it's the, we're, not, we're not throwing that out. It's the, Jesus is the fulfillment. The Bible's reliable. The Old Testament prophets foretold of Christ. And God fulfills all that he's promised. Praise God. We serve a faithful God. He fulfills his promises. He's not like us. He doesn't change his mind every five seconds. He doesn't overpromise and underdeliver. God makes a way for us to be in relationship with him through the person and through the work of Christ. And here we see this reoccurring theme in verse 19, don't we? We've heard this before. Repent! And therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come. I love that. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Repent. Repent. We hear this over and over again. So we just try to come up with creative ways to explain what repent means. But ESV Study Bible says it means to turn back to God instead of continuing to turn away from Him. Because isn't that a daily exercise? Isn't that a minute-by-minute exercise? Am I going to turn to me? Am I going to turn away from God or am I going to turn to Him? Am I going to submit to Him? Is He not going to be just a good philosophy, and idea for me? Is He going to be my Lord, which means I am subservient to Him? He is my God. What He says goes. He has authority over me. Faith life writes, from its beginning, the biblical narrative speaks of our need for repentance made in the image of God and meant for fellowship with the Creator. Adam, Adam and Eve used their freedom to disobey a divine command. In estrangement, they hide. When discovered, they attempt excuses in their fearfulness. To cover their nakedness, a creature loses its life. At the origins of the human family, sin is present, which becomes part of the spiritual reality of all humanity. The result, the soul that sins, it will die. The sacrificial system of the Old Testament is established to address the necessity of atonement. Without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So why do we read that? Why do we need to know that? Because we need to know that we are in need of God. And we see it everywhere. You are in need of Christ. Jesus is not a therapy, an add-on, or a self-help to you. You are dead without God, and God in His grace loves you. But here's the twist. If you don't hear anything else, this is probably a good thing to realize. The problem is when we read this text, we can easily see ourselves as the healer instead of the one being healed. We can read this text and see ourselves as Peter. But you can't read yourself as Peter and John in this story until you see yourself as the lame beggar. And God notices you. God extends grace to you. God shows mercy to you, though you don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. So Peter's calling us to repent, to turn to God. And the beautiful thing is, I just read it, but there's three things according to verses 19 through 21. There's three results of repentance. And it's beautiful. One, forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins. We repent, God forgives us. Secondly, I love this one, times of refreshing. 
We live in an exhausted world. Refreshing sounds pretty nice. And then thirdly, promise of future restoration in Christ. This is all good news. This is all good news. Repent and receive forgiveness. God's refreshing and the future restoration of all that's broken. The ESV says, The time for restoring all the things looks forward to when Christ will return and his kingdom will be established on earth and the earth itself will be renewed even beyond the more abundant and productive state it had before Adam and Eve's fall. Praise God. Let's read the last bit of our text. Moses said, This is verse 22. The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who've spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That's a good statement. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. See, what's beautiful here is that God makes a way for all people to know God in Christ. Not only Jews or Gentiles or Greeks, but all peoples can know God because of Christ. This is a beautiful reality because what this means is that the gospel supersedes all national, ethnic, and socioeconomic boundaries. The gospel is for all people in all places in all times. The fall separates us. Sin destroys relationships. Sin divides us. Sin oppresses us. God through Christ by the power of the Spirit is making all things new. He's making all things new. The text is turning every one of you from your wickedness. Meaning in Jesus, God is reversing the fall. God's making all things new. We repent. We turn from the world. We turn from ourselves. We turn to Christ. And God takes away our wickedness. Praise be to God. So in the vein of repentance, let me finish up by reading uh, something by Tim Keller. (laughs) Couldn't help it. To discover the real you, look at what you spend time thinking about when no one else is looking. When nothing is forcing you to think about anything in particular. At such moments, do your thoughts go toward God? You may want to be seen as a humble, unassuming person, but do you take the initiative to confess your sins before God? You wish to be perceived as a positive, cheerful person, but do you habitually thank God for everything you have and praise Him for who He is? You may speak a great deal about what a blessing your faith is and how you just really love the Lord, but if you're prayerless, is that really true? If you aren't joyful, humble, and faithful and private before God, then what you want to appear to be on the outside won't match what you truly are. The infallible test of spiritual integrity, Jesus says, is your private prayer life. And honestly, as as we've been coming into this text and this sermon, my prayer for you this week is that you would fall in love with Jesus. 
that you would fall in love with Jesus, that your affections for Christ would be stirred, that you would love him because that's what, what draws you to prayer. That's what draws you to repentance. Because see, you're loving something. You get excited about things. We, you know, you go to the mall or some shopping place and you exude your affections and even spend money acquiring goods that make you feel good or important or, or like you matter in some way. They fill some need. We gather at concerts and sporting events and cheer on performers like little demigods, which in turn make us feel part of something important. We work tirelessly for a company or calls that in turn pays us so that we can engage in the activities that make us feel adequate. All of that sounds a lot like worship. And my prayer for myself and for you guys is that we go from worshiping ourselves to worshiping, we go from worshiping ourselves in the world to worshiping the one true God, the only one that can truly bring us life and hope, and peace, and joy. The God of the Bible is the God you were made. You and I were made to worship. Turn to Him. So in conclusion, the overwhelming pattern in the New Testament is the church proclaiming the gospel through their deeds, what they did, and through their words, what they said. And this is, in fact, prescriptive for us. We are to follow this example. So let me put it this way. The life of a true Christian is a life marked by gospel service and gospel conversations. Or, or this, learn the gospel and live the gospel. You can come up with whatever maxim you want, but it's word and deed. If you're a new believer or you've grown up in church, you've never been baptized or you did it at a young age and it wasn't a conscious profession of faith, I want to call you to be baptized next week, Sunday, March 1st. We're having baptisms here at the gathering. I want to encourage you to participate in that and let us as a church family celebrate with you. I'm so excited. We've got two folks that are being baptized as of now and they're both in my community group and I am so stoked. So celebrate with us. And if you feel called even now to, to, to want to be engaged in that, you've never been baptized, if you have questions, you can get with me right up here after the gathering. All right? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for grace. Thank you for grace. God, help us. Many of us probably, if we're Christians, we gravitate towards word or deed. Or that person that's like, let's just do stuff. I don't really, like, let's just do stuff. Or we're people that just, you know, we just read and we want to preach at people all the time. I pray that, Lord, you would do a work in each of our hearts that we become people that proclaim the gospel in our words and in what we do. God, help us to live as faithful Christians. Help us to be to be people, to be men and women that are marked by repentance. That God, our, our approach to you would not just be mere indifference. So God, I pray even right now as we begin to sing, as we, as we take the Lord's Supper, as we give of our offerings, that God, we would begin to just repent. And if there's areas of our, of our lives and our hearts that, that we need to confess, that we would just do so. 
We love you and we thank you. Amen. That does it for today's podcast. Thanks for listening and make sure to tune in tomorrow for the next edition of Transformation Radio.